Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in coming to rank. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm here as always, uh, here as always, Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic with my guys, uh, both sides of the coast repped here, Anthony Slater out west, Fred Katz out east. Gentlemen, what's going on today? I'm doing I'm doing well, Sam Amick. How are you? We got it. No, this is way too mellow. Get your coffee, get your juice, get your energy. Come on, Slater. Don't be a jackass. I, oh man. <laughs> Right off the bat. Shout out Timmy, Timmy Good Times at ESPN. I love you, my friend. You too, Mr. Windhorst. Uh, that's an inside NBA media joke that people probably understand. All right, guys, let me uh, let me dive in. Here's what we got on the show this week. We're getting closer to the playoffs. It's kind of the time of year where we analyze everything. We've had the you know kind of lie detector episode a couple weeks ago, and and uh, but there's still plenty of, of kind of meat left on the bone. Here's what we're gonna do. We are going to throw out. Quite a few. We're going to attempt eight. We'll see how far we get. Quite a few. Um, we will call them hot takes from our fine super producer Andrew Schlecht, who provided the uh, the commentary here. But we're going to decide, you know, kind of where we land on these topics. Nikola Jokic, even with the Jamal Murray injury, should be the MVP. Now, I think you know people think he's the front runner, but we're going to get into that. How's the Murray injury impact things? Um, number two, right up Anthony Slater's alley. This is the best Steph Curry has ever been. That is a bold statement. Number three, the play-in tournament, as kind of relayed by Mark Cuban and Luka Doncic, is a bad idea. Number four, Phoenix is a good regular season team, but will not have another gear in the playoffs. Number five, Philly should get more consideration as the East favorite because of health and continuity. Number six, almost to the end here, Boston as a dark horse for the Eastern Conference Finals. Number seven, Miami was a fluke in the bubble. Ooh, Jimmy Butler's shade is real. Number eight, the Knicks. The Knicks. The Knicks with Leon Rose and Derek Rose and all the Roses should be taken seriously. All right, guys. Number one. You put one, some pressure on us there to, to get also, through all eight of these. I know. All right, so, let's go. See, all right. That's, that's all right. Framing. Nikola Jokic is the MVP. I hope these are really all Andrew's uh, hot takes. Like, I hope he they believes are. all these takes. Oh, like his actual opinions. Yeah. We'll this see. isn't that hot of a take at the time, no. right? With Jokic. No, no. Like, he is the MVP if we voted today. I, to me, the question is can somebody overtake him? Can he hold on? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned the Knicks. I'm looking at. Total minutes in the NBA this season. Who do you think are the top two leaders in total minutes in the NBA? 
Jokic and Randall. Jokic and somebody. Jokic is three, which is very Ooh. impressive. Julius Randall and RJ Barrett are one, too. Thank you, Tom Thibodeau. He's <laughs> yeah, Tibbs. grinding them. Get it, Tibbs. Uh, 21-31 <laughs> for Julius Randall in 57 games. Jokic has played every game, all 56. The only surprising games. part about that is that it's not Taj Gibson. Because I feel like Todd should be the. the <laughs> if we looked at like veteran minutes. bench minutes, he's probably one. We have to yeah. filter it out, but yes. Fair, um, fair, fair. Uh, Jokic's third, 1,972 minutes. Obviously, everybody knows the game played factor, which I do think matters in this MVP race. I just looked up Embiid's minutes. Uh, he's 748 minutes less than. than Joel or than uh, Nikola Jokic, and that matters, right? I mean, I I think Embiid probably does have a chance if he has a really strong finish and Philly kind of separates itself, and they're the East one seed. And on the other side, if Denver has a little lull without Murray, um, you know, and they finish five six seed, and then you're looking at Philly's the one seed, maybe that's the separator. Right. The minutes matter massively when you're talking about players of this level of greatness, with Jokic and Embiid and LeBron, and whomever else you want to throw in there, Curry, the more you play, the more you're contributing on the aggregate to your team. And it's it's not just, you know, Embiid is the common other guy who's mentioned with Jokic, but I've got the minutes called up too. I mean, LeBron has played 1,300 minutes compared to about 2,000 for, for Jokic, and Harden has played 1,600. Kawhi has played 1,600. Giannis has played 1,600. I mean, these guys have played 20, 25%, you know, in, in Embiid's case, about about 50%, 40% fewer minutes than Jokic, and that that matters a lot. All right, natural segue. Speaking of minutes, uh, I'm, I'm not the strongest on the math front, but 45 minutes roughly for the pod divided by eight topics. That's 5.6 minutes per topic. Uh, so we're we're firing through. I think Jokic is the front runner. Uh, the Nuggets are 2-0 and since Jamal Murray went down. I had a shameless plug here. I had an interview with Aaron Gordon over the weekend where he somewhat surprisingly just flat out said, we still feel like we have enough. And he's talking about being a title contender. If they can stay afloat and have a winning record, I think Jokic wins it. Embiid uh, is, you know, I think a, a somewhat distant second, but don't count him out just yet. I also love the PR stuff that happens this time of year. Um, Joel Embiid jumping on the Zach Lowe podcast. I just, it, it kind of got my attention from the the standpoint of kind of MVP campaigning. That's the kind of thing that athletes are doing and players are doing this kind of year or this time of year because they, uh, they care about this stuff. So um, I think we are all on the same page well, there. Any other me, final yoga thoughts? Before you switch us to the next topic, who do you think still can get it? You know, cause you, we, you mentioned Harden to me with his injuries dropped off. LeBron's probably dropped off and coming back has put himself back in the mix. I think Giannis is probably really the only one besides, um, you know, uh, Embiid who has his shot, but does Giannis have a shot? Will anyone actually take him serious? And there's that yeah. element that matters, and it's hurting Giannis. And then there's also, you know, his last injury, and I forget how many games it was, but you know, he, the availability thing. For a minute, it looked like he would be right there with Jokic in terms of the kind of availability being the best ability. Um, so again, I wouldn't totally count him out if he goes bonkers and the Bucks win the East. Then we got to look at it, but. Right now, uh, I think it's it's Jokic. And Bede's argument as a two-way player who's a defensive player of the year caliber Well, guy, he's got his teammates saying he's the defensive player of the year. So it's hard to rough. be the defensive player of the year if your teammate says, I'm the best defensive player on the team since I'm the it's best defensive rough. player on the league. I don't know. It's yeah, weird. That is point. kind of a weird overlap. But Can I transfer us into topic number two right now with Do a, it, with a, with a seamless wheel. transition? Yep. Uh, 
Slater, we completely ruling out Steph Curry as possibly winning it. He's when coming for Bradley Beal's scoring title, Fred Katz. That's what he's Yes, he is. For. Yes, he is. And Bradley Beal said in consecutive sentences the other day when asked if he cares about winning the scoring title, he said, I could care less about that. But do I care? Yeah. <laughs> I, I could care less. <laughs> yeah. I care less about that. But do I care? Yeah. <laughs> it was... It was a wonderful moment of of him trying to brush it off and then being like, nah, I'll just be honest about it. Which, yeah, he should care. Who the hell wouldn't care about winning a scoring title? But with Curry, he's averaging 40 a game over his last nine. Okay. Our topic. Like, well, not, yeah, 31 now. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. 40, but over, over his last nine. Yeah. And what I'm saying is regarding the MVP stuff and and getting us into topic number two, which, uh, which Sam gave away, is this is the best Steph has ever been. If he is the best he's ever been, then he is going to play lights out and carry the Warriors to some wins. I get that they're in the play-in tournament, and I don't think he's going to end up winning with a team that's in the play-in tournament. But are we are we totally ruling that out? I mean, are we ruling I out think, him getting first place I think votes over Jokic? Yes. Yeah, I think the voters just will rule out somebody who's not even in a firm playoff spot, right? If you're in the play-in tournament. Just like Luka Doncic is having an unbelievable individual season, but I think he's kind of been ruled out because Dallas is the seven seed right now. And the funny thing is like that's not that far away from Denver, but uh, to me, like the, the storylines have been laid. I I don't think anyone would vote Steph Curry, even though I think there's been an admission over the last, uh, you know, like you said, 10 games or so that like this guy's like, he may be the most valuable to a team, but you just can't vote a guy that has dragged, a 15 and 50 worst team in basketball to the play in tournament, which is well, what not did, to mention right? too, that the injury stuff is not very much fun to talk about, but I tell me if you guys agree or not, I feel like Steph's injury, you know, the tailbone and it wasn't a lot of time, but it was just enough time to take him and put him on a different tier than Jokic. When it comes to that availability, the thing that, and I don't want to jinx it because I'm sick and tired of seeing guys go down like Jamal Murray, but the thing Jokic has that nobody else has is that you got this, consistent through line from an optic standpoint where early on Nuggets underperforming but Jokic carrying playing at a really really high level and again on the floor then they find their way they ascend they look like elite contenders again Jokic still carrying them now Jamal Murray goes down small sample size they play tonight so by the time the pod comes out we'll be one game behind but you know won the first two games without Jamal and you're carrying them with Steph we are unfortunately overlooking the fact, and Slater, you probably have this number committed to memory, but their record when he's on the floor this year, I mean, in like 27 and 21 or something like that, like yeah. they're a legitimate they're, winning team. Yeah, yeah. They're one in seven without him. And, you know, you mentioned we're a little bit of a day late. We're talking now on Monday morning. He's questionable tonight against the Sixers and because he twisted his ankle and then hit three more threes and almost, you know, drag him to a win in Boston on ABC right. but you know I don't know how many more games he's going to say that was a pretty good role um I th- he's going to try to play tonight but I honestly think this, the smartest play would probably be to rest him um yeah they're 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 a good team without him and um he's not going to win MVP we don't even have to like he's just not so to me the I'm question not is, buying is this- the best he's ever been part I'm going to say it's different I'm happy this is weird because I always say like we root for people not players I'm happy for him that he's done more than enough this year to, I think, you know, the the hypothetical of if he had been very mediocre this season, what the narrative would have been and what, you know, that stupid legacy talk that is always too simplistic would have sounded like. Um, that would have been a kind of annoying noise that you would have had some people acting like it somehow impacted, you know, who he's 
going to be remembered as as a player. He's gone out and just proven that he's the same special player that he's been for a long time now. Uh, I just don't think it means that he's MVP. And I think it's it's not the best he's ever been because I'm not taking away the context of championship basketball, game changing, history making play that that he uh, that he did during their run. Yeah, he's averaging the same amount of made threes this season as he did in the uh, per game as he did in the 402 season, which is the unanimous season, which is, you know, we would probably if, if Sam was making his argument, I'm sure he would make the unanimous MVP argument as, as his uh, best season. He's a better defender now because he's stronger. Um, he, he can't be pushed around as much. It, it just the funny thing is, you know, during the, the long pandemic break, we did a bunch of like rewatches on our Warriors plus minus podcast. And we were, you know, we watched the OKC game, which is maybe in the middle of that uh, of what you consider his best stretch before this statistically um and he's he's awesome in that game obviously he hits the 40 footer to win it he's a lot skinnier um he's just in a really good condition right now he's much stronger to the rim um the three i mean he's this single week he had 10 or more threes in three games and that's more than anybody else in the nba this season it's three of the 20 he's ever done in his career nobody else in the nba has ever had five more games or or more than five games you sound like a man who's written a lot about steph play lately this is these are I have dropping numbers right now. I, 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 you know, it's to me, the most impressive is the, is that, that 73 and nine season when he was doing that in big crowds and in big right. moments. And like you said, they're winning, he's winning those games, right? They're winning every game and he's pulling them out. But right. I'm not sure if you just took this current, very mature, strong, uh, you know, conditioned version of Steph Curry and put him back on that team instead of the, the one that was there. I honestly think he kind of might be a better basketball player. And now it won't show That's in wins. That's an interesting because, point. Yeah. Yeah. It won't yeah. show in wins because of surrounding talent, but he's just he's just like everything's clicking for him and he is he has kept himself in such shape that 33 isn't doesn't feel like he's aging, really. Right, right. Mr. Katz, any final staff thoughts before we go to item number 3? He is he is as good as he's ever been but he's not better than he was in the second MVP season. That second MVP season was magical. And uh, I think when time gets removed from it, I don't think we should forget how unbelievable that, like how, how special that season was coming into 73 and nine seasons. So I will say that he's as good as he's ever been. That was his most magical, memorable career moment. I'm just saying, if you just took basketball player for basketball player, I might take this current basketball player over that one. But yes, we can, this is, I'd have to go back and watch and remember, remind myself too, if we're getting the specifics. I, I, I feel like he might, he, he's probably a better passer now than he was then too. Yeah. And he's, he's just, just such a good decision the off, maker. He's mastered the off ball movement stuff. And I, he's just done stuff to his body conditioning wise over, over the many off seasons that have just, he's, he's just in physically better shape. He just is. Slater, this might've been your clip. Um, but I saw the clip the other day of Steph, I think against OKC and somebody yeah, just yeah, highlighting. That was, that yeah, was. that was we're, fantastic. Like just showing the off ball movement and, and, you know, kind of man amongst boys type stuff. Where those young Thunder defenders did not know, they never you know, which way to like go. It. Yeah, I mean, it it's was like really you deal like, with you, you. You're told, hey, you're guarding a star scorer, right? Like, be ready for the dribble moves, the pick and roll. This he just didn't have the ball. He was just shaking guys off the ball. <laughs> I mean, and like truly, like breaking ankles without the ball in his hands. Anyway. Um, you're, you're kind of inspiring me, by the way, and I'm being serious, I think, because I'm going to get back out to an arena sometime soon. My second vaccine shot is coming up quick. Uh, I think I need to get to the, the Chase Center. Fans before, will uh, be there Friday, 
First time. Okay. 6,000, I believe. So. All right. Yeah, I think I'm heading that way. All right, number three on the list. I don't have strong, strong feelings about this. Maybe you guys do. The play-in tournament topic was front and center recently when Mavericks owner Mark Cuban said a few critical things about it. Publicly called it something, I think, an absolute disaster. You know, thinks that especially in the COVID campaign, given the stress put upon players by the schedule, that, you know, they should have pivoted here and scrapped it. Um, Certainly a somewhat convenient stance to take for a guy whose team is currently sitting in seventh in the West. Before you guys weigh in, again, we're heading into Monday here, but the play-in crowd in the East, you got Miami in that seventh spot, Charlotte eighth, Indiana ninth, Toronto tenth, tied with the Bulls. Also tied and, with the Wizards. And the Wizards. <laughs> I, was about, I was about to say, what about those rising the Washington Wizards? The um, Out West, we got Cubans, Mavericks, and Luka Doncic, like I said earlier, has also been critical of the plan. Um, so Mavs, Grizzlies, Warriors, Spurs, and that's the crowd in the West because the Pelicans are three games back. Um, how do you guys see this? I hate the plan tournament. Not for the same reason as Mark Cuban. Did you hate I, it last season? Um. Last season was so quirky and weird that I was fine with the NBA trying out quirky and weird things to match the strangeness of the season. It was different the reason, last year, too, by the way. Remember that? Yeah, it was they a different just, format. They just did let eight and nine play, and nine could only play eight if they were within, I think, four games at the end of the That's bubble. right. And in the I East, should not have forgotten that. I did forget that. And in the East, there wasn't anyone with it, so they didn't even have all the All the play-in was was Portland against Memphis, Memphis had to beat Portland twice, and, and Portland won the first game, and they were in. So you know what story would be uh, what story would be a lot of fun to write and report, but I think is probably virtually impossible to get to, is all the trades that would have happened if the play-in tournament didn't exist. You know what I mean? Like I think we saw that immediately, and I'm alluding mainly to my backyard. Like it, Sacramento got a little bit. Um, kind of you know, the, the little taste of play in fever as they won some games heading into the trade deadline. Terrific and, choice, Sacramento. Yeah, just, great Just choice. awesome job, Kings. And Went really well. <laughs> uh, speaking of fantastic viral videos, fun. you guys see the one, Carmichael Dave, friend of, of uh, mine in Sacramento, Radio Star, had an amazing meme where he said, this is the Kings experience because they, they, what are they, won eight in a row, lost eight in a row, won eight in a row, lost eight in a row, whatever it is. And it was a video of a, a poor sheep that was stuck inside of a ditch and a little boy <laughs> yeah, is pulling the sheep thing. out. Yeah. And the second the sheep gets out, it just runs and jumps and goes right back in the ditch. That's the King's life. But yeah, I think, sir, I think trades, you know, that would have happened didn't because of uh, the idea that more teams are going to be competitive. I think Sacramento might've been the only team that did. I mean, I don't know, you know, we, we can't, I mean, I know. think, I think the wizards are in that play play in chasing yeah, mode that's too. True. I mean, and and it's not just the trades at the deadline; it's also the way the teams operated in the off season. I think I think between that and the lottery reform with the tanking odds a few years ago, I mean, how many teams? There are still a lot of bad teams who transition to tanking. You know, once they really aren't good. But like Houston didn't come into this season tanking. Houston came in thinking we're going to compete. Houston gets Old Depot in that trade, thinking we're still going to be decent, and they transition philosophies throughout the season. I mean. You look at the Eastern Conference and there are all these teams who are trying to do, you know, the Chicago at the deadline was like, let's revamp and really go for it and get Vucevic and get Tice and improve this roster and go for the play-in tournament. And it is not working out well for them right now. The reason I don't like the play-in tournament is just because if, if a kid comes home 
and grad with report cards that are good enough to graduate in the 33rd percentile of their class, you think that kid is doing terribly. So I, I just hate the idea of striving. But you don't for the kick him out of school, percentile. Fred. <laughs> you don't kick him out of school. Well, I was like, I might've been 20th percentile. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm allowed to say it, but I just hate the idea that the 33rd percentile is good enough to get in. It's you just let him go to summer school. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> 10 teams is too many. 10 teams is just, yeah. Playing well, tournament me, at summer league. Let me push back. Uh, we're, probably going to get something like uh you know Doncic and Curry in a one game playoff right at the end of the regular season yeah. which is going to be fun loser probably loser probably goes and plays like Ja Morant in a one game playoff in you know in, uh, out east you know I don't know exactly what the matchups are going to be in you know the the west matchups can shake up but that's going to be really fun high level uh basketball with stakes on the line you know like curry against Doncic with with that team getting into the playoffs um with a team like let's say you're sitting there at two you're phoenix right and you're sitting there going watching curry against Doncic, and on you know you're getting the winner of this and and while you'll be favored like that's going to be a tough matchup who do you want to play do you want somehow memphis to 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 fight their way in because you would prefer that like that's going to be pretty high level theater and then the argument of like, well, why are we letting the 10 seed in? I don't really care. What I would say is I don't really care about the seven or eight seed saying, well, like you're taking away the advantage of being the seven or eight seed, whatever. You're the seven seed, Dallas. You know, you had a super disappointing first half of the season. You don't necessarily like earn, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt. We so. will sacrifice you for entertainment purposes because we don't care that much about the kind of the uh, the scope of your accomplishments. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, it's more fun. And, like, win one of two games. Win one Not of only two that, games. here's my my last thought that I think is, is also uh, kind of meaningful is, like, I do like the idea that it creates two races because the race for sixth becomes, like, the, the crowd I that agree. wants to avoid the play-in tournament. And, again, heading into Monday, you're talking about the Blazers at number six in the West sitting there saying, all right, we got to stay focused. We're not – Resting guys, we're not, you know, taking the foot off the gas because we need to keep Dallas in the rear view. And then in the east, that is the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau's, Taj Gibson's Knicks, uh, in six Taj with Gibson's Miami. Knicks. <laughs> I, I agree for sure. There, there's like a definite benefit between six and seven, which I'm cool with getting that kind of stratis, stratified situation there. And also, like Mark Cuban's argument was like the 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 tiring nature of the season and and why are we adding like one or two games? All you're really doing is adding one or two games for eight teams combined between the two conferences. If you really were worried about player health and all this, don't crunch a 72 game season into like you know. A, a small amount of of months, right? And, and like right, to right, me, right. like the the, the playing tournament has had no effect on player yes. health yet. Yeah, it hasn't happened. No, the only way it's had an effect on player health is if teams are chasing the playing tournament or trying to stay away from the playing tournament. Then they're playing Julius Randle and and R.J. Barrett a million and seven minutes, and and maybe that's it. But I don't know. Teams chase playoff spots no matter where they are all the time. So. All right, let's move along to number four. Uh, This is not a play-in team. This is an elite team, and nobody said that coming into this season. The Phoenix Suns are for real. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges will dunk all over you if you let him. Monty Williams, a certainly a a Coach of the Year shortlist candidate. Um, Shout out to James Jones and Jeff Bauer doing good work in that front office. Yeah, hundred percent. The Suns went from a cute, surprising story to 
my goodness, they are second in the West, a game and a half away from the Utah Jazz, 40 and 16. Um, but but Andrew Slecht, you know, and maybe this is kind of Thunder Suns bias. He's mad that Chris Paul left Oklahoma City. I don't know what's got Andrew upset, but he says they won't have another gear for the playoffs. What do you guys think? I I I can't bring myself to fully agree with Andrew because why why couldn't Devin Booker pull a Murray slash Donovan Mitchell hit another level of his game for a playoff run? And all of a sudden, we start to look at Devin Booker not as a top fifteen, top twenty player, but a top twelve guy or something like that. Like I would it shock anybody if Devin Booker just completely caught fire and averaged thirty a game for a playoff run, helped him win a playoff series or two, and they end up getting into the Western Conference Finals. No. I mean, well, and the one area that certainly somebody highlighted this this morning on Twitter is that as great as they've been. Uh, Booker, I think, is shooting around 34.5% from long range. And so you see parts of his game where it's like, dude is a killer, but he could certainly improve in certain areas. And, and it's a little Jamal Murray-esque, right? Like you said, Fred, where if that part uh, has a major uptick in the playoffs, then then look out, anybody in the West. And the Chris Paul thing to me, you talk about Chris, and I think Jay Crowder is worth mentioning there too, the veteran presence. And, and even Monty Williams, like these are – these are guys who have been through it and they're not going to be sitting there on that playoff stage, you know, with, with any sort of trepidation in their minds and their hearts, they're going to be ready to roll. The Devin one is all right. We haven't seen him on that stage, but it's hard to, to see what he does on a nightly basis and, and thing. And I uh, think it won't translate. The bubble was the most playoff, uh, atmosphere he's been in right and they went eight and yeah. he was awesome. And remember right. when he like beat right. the, the Clippers, um, with that game winner, um, I agree with Fred. Like like Booker's the name to watch for for Phoenix to elevate to uh, true contender status. Like it's not going to be Chris Paul being like the one A, right? Chris Paul has to be the the veteran point guard leader who's running the show, but Booker has to be a one A. Um, they're the fifth best defense in basketball and the seventh best offense. It's a very sturdy two way team that screams title contender typically. Uh, and I think DeAndre Ayton should be mentioned here. Like he's yeah. really taking a leap um, quietly. And I, yep. Yeah, and you know, again, it's 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 common growth for a, an NBA big, particularly one who was as physically gifted as him, that kind of needed to learn the league, learn defense. It's very hard for I'm seeing it with James Wiseman this season. It's very hard for young bigs to to know coverages and and switch schemes and drop coverage, all that, and, and communication. He has grown over three years, and the fact that he is the center for the fifth ranked defensive basketball, while also being you know he's a productive offensive player. Chris Paul. Uh, works well with him like that's that's a that's a solid trio and uh Mikel Bridges as you mentioned like I I start to worry about their depth as you get to like sixth seventh eighth ninth men on that team but at the same some time of their guys like, though man like campaign has been doing campaign. some work campaign yeah how about that how about that okay, career see, revival, shout out. by the way yes no, I mean, um, they, I don't know. Eddie Johnson was raving about their death the other, death the other night on the telecast, okay. so I'm going to take Eddie's word for it. I they, think They've done a good job drafting for roles. Like, one of the things, they, they always get knocked on draft night because they supposedly reach for a guy on the night of the draft, and sometimes they absolutely do, but they draft for roles, clearly. You know, they draft Cam Johnson. They're like, that guy is going to be a good off-ball guy next to Devin Booker, and that pick was looked at as a bad pick at the time and nobody's complaining about it now. I mean, he's a very good, important role player for them. Then they have a roster that makes a lot of basketball sense when you watch them play. They just reached for Jalen Smith at 10 and he's not really playing much for them when they could have Tyrese Halliburton in their rotation. Can you imagine how 
they look right now with you know inject Halliburton instead of Jalen Smith not to not to hurt James Jones executive of the year uh candidacy because I do think it's strong but I mean Aiton was a supposed draft for roles too I mean right Dontrich Dontrich overlaps with Booker I mean that was a supposed draft for roles I was too, amongst say, many put, other reasons you put that one on the T for me Slater like the idea obviously Luke is the best player from that draft but the, the Kings have got to be jealous in somewhere Vladi Divac is, is, you know, rolling his eyes. But like the idea that the Suns have survived the non-drafting of Luka uh, and while turning around their program, you know, in, in really short order is, is the kind of thing that is tough to do and that teams like Sacramento have not been able to do. So it's, it's kind of wild that that while, you know, player for player, uh, you know, Aiden is, is nowhere near the player at this point that Luca is that collectively it's, it doesn't matter. He fits what they're doing and, and they're in a great spot. And he's a very good player. He's much better than Marvin Bagley. Yes. Yeah. Aiden's so, still yeah. a very good player. Like he's, he's, he's going to have a very good career. Right. I could see him making an all-star team eventually. Sure. They got a little swagger too. And Chris Paul, I think plays a part in that. Devin is, is kind of, you got to watch him closely in these games to get a taste uh, and, and hopefully we can get back in arenas and see it in person. But he's got a fearlessness about him that I love. He got in Pat Beverly's face recently. And, and he, you know, he's one of those guys that you can tell he's like, all right, I'm not a kid anymore. I've been doing this for a minute. You guys, you know, you don't, the the, the casuals, as they call them, don't know about him because he hasn't been on that playoff stage. So uh, I like the Suns. I'm excited to see what they do in the postseason. Item number five. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers that we mentioned earlier, uh, they just keep getting it done. Injuries, no injuries, you know, whatever the season throws at them, they have been impressive. You know, they, they've they had their fingers in these different trades that would have changed everything. They, they go after James Harden. That doesn't work. Um, you know, but, you know, Ben Simmons stays put. Um, they're just a good squad. Tobias Harris doing his thing when Embiid is out. Embiid back now and pushing for MVP like we talked about. Um, you know, they're the top of the East right now and keeping the Nets at bay. What do you guys think there? Well, Andrew's take was uh, because of health and continuity. Um, that's why they should be more considered the favorite. I think that that's more of an indictment of, I assume, what he's seeing in Brooklyn um, with Harden is now out with an injury. You know, Kyrie's been in and out of the lineup for various reasons this season. And, you know, Kevin Durant's, can't seem to really get over, uh, you know, his injury issues right now. He he just returned from what felt like a very prolonged hamstring absence, and pretty immediately takes it. I think he took a Trevor Ariza knee to the to the thigh that knocked yep. him out of that Heat Brooklyn game. And you you know, Kevin Durant to me is the the swing factor in the East. We all have seen him on that playoff stage. He's the by far the most playoff proven player in the East. And if he is the Kevin Durant, who at times when he's played this season, he's looked like if he is that for an extended playoff run, as we've seen him in, in he past was in seasons, the MVP discussion for the first yeah. two weeks. He looked amazing. Look, if you, yeah. if you just take every game he's played and made it into a 72 game season, he, he would very much be in the MVP discussion, but he's just not playing. And he, he continues to go out for, for various minor things. And, you know, he's coming off an Achilles tear. He's getting a little bit older. Like that, that question needs to be presented. It was like, will he hold up necessarily in the playoffs? And, and it's just becoming a more of a concerning proposition. Um, but Joel Embiid is not necessarily proven. He's, you know, ready for an entire playoff run and, and, and the body toll that'll take. So, and Ben Simmons literally last season left the first round because of a back injury. So I don't necessarily think Philly's like some proven super healthy, 
um, contender. When they are healthy, they're really good. When Brooklyn's healthy, they're really good. Milwaukee's probably, the, you know, just Giannis typically has has held up through an entire season. The problem is he's just hasn't uh, been that great in the playoffs. I don't know. What do you think? But neither is Philly. I mean, you know, we talk all the time about how, you know, how great Giannis is and yet how schematically people know how to handle him in the playoffs. When I say handle, I just mean they know how to, there is a way that has been proven to work and that you can beat Milwaukee in a playoff series playing that in the way that you guard Giannis and the way you guard that Milwaukee offense, which is a little different now. They have slightly different principles, but, you know, the general concepts are still the same that you play off of Giannis and try to make him shoot. Kind of a similar thing with Philly in that, you know how to approach that offense. And they've also made some changes too, but the the bench is up and down depending on the night. They're not the deepest team in the league. Embiid is still not perfect on double teams, though he's a lot better. Um, and Simmons is kind of just junior Giannis in that sense, right? I mean, Tobias Harris, I think, would be a really important player for them in a playoff series because of how versatile of a scorer he is now and uh, how important he is for that offense with the way that they play him. But, I mean, Embiid is in the best year of his career, but there are still ways to to kind of stifle that offense, and they're going to have to win on defense if they do it. They're they're middle of the pack offensively right now. They're, they're 14th, 15th, 16th, something like that in offense. It's not like they're going out and killing everybody. Uh, so I don't know if there's like a perfectly balanced team in the East that you can say is a contender, kind of like there is with Utah or Phoenix or the Clippers in the West. No, I agree. I think in general, if Brooklyn's healthy, I'm 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 going with the Nets as a favorite. Um, but you know, hat tip to everything the Sixers have done. Uh, you know, mild X factor. Doc Rivers having a, a you know, I know he's got a tough track record. All those three one kind of uh, collapses that are in his history and part of his resume, but he's still a championship coach and a guy who has been on that playoff stage a million times. I think that is not a, you know, that's a positive. And so they're just a really good team. And then we'll have to wait and see what the playoff landscape looks around them. Um, number six, gentlemen, we're making is our the way playoff through playoff landscape around them. That, that, that's a transition right there, Sam. It is indeed. The playoff landscape around them. We have the Boston Celtics, who I don't know how you guys feel. They're, they're still, six in a row. yeah, and and they're still even in their darkest of days. For me, they're a league pass alert team. I I just enjoy watching Tatum do his thing and and Jalen Brown do his thing. And Marcus Smart is is always somebody who, if you just want to lock in on a player and, and appreciate grit and grind and hustle and all those things, they have you know those pieces that we've seen, like we're seeing recently, do some good things together. Um, you know, it's better late than never, I guess. And Boston is is starting to figure things out. Are you guys believing it? So, uh, you know, I, I obviously watch that. So, Warriors. so are they a dark horse? I didn't pose the question. Are they a dark horse for the uh, Eastern Conference? Sure, Finals? sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> you know, I, the Tatum enthusiasm. Had, Tatum had forty four the other day. Really, kind of outdueled Steph in that ABC Saturday Night game. And and you know, Curry and him had a little like moment post game talking, and then Steph in his post game you know, made a comment about like he, like 
you know, as a as a, and obviously an established superstar who's had this this twelve year journey to where he's at, he was mentioning like Jason Tatum looks like the fourth year, fifth year superstar that's like really starting to become like a one A on a title team, and and he he was as good as any player has been against the Warriors this season. Like he was just dominant in every way. I, Warriors were super active, and I thought they had a pretty good defensive night. He was just scoring over good defense, and that's the type of stuff in the playoffs that matters, right? You're going to play high level defense can you score against it and he just did in every way timely buckets down the stretch buckets like 8-0 runs by himself so he to me looks like he's ready to make that you know leap in in a sense and Jalen Brown right there seems like a perfect number two but the question marks just really start flying down that roster afterwards you know Kemba Walker what's his health situation what's his production situation he's had a bad season he just has uh and then you know Smart is a good playoff level player but beyond that like have you seen their rotation like four through ten like do you like or trust anyone no they're young guys just don't give them much losing Daniel Tice I thought actually hurt him um you yeah. know, Robert Williams helps, but he's hurt. Uh, yeah. They, they signed Jabari Parker this week, and he was playing in crunch time the other day. Scoring minute. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, a little quick flashback that you made me think of, Slater, is it seems like five years ago, it was only two, I think. But the Warriors last season, heading into the Toronto Finals, I remember I wrote a story where I, over time, I collected opinions from the Warriors players on the record, which was hard to do, about which team do you fear? Now, I didn't pose it that way because players in general don't like being asked who they're afraid of, but it was kind of trying to get at the question of, okay, you know, the Dynasty Warriors seemed untouchable at that time. Who were you most focused on and concerned about? Or to flip it another way, who did you respect the most in terms of the program? And you remember, like, for a minute, like, the Celtics were it. Like, and that was the answer across the board. And, and they've had, a, obviously, a bit of a fall from grace. I mean, so much of it is going to have to do with Kemba Walker. For, for, first of all, by the way, predicting that somebody is a dark horse is the greatest prediction <laughs> anyone can make because you are right either way. You're, what you are saying is if they make it- Don't yeah, pull the yeah, curtain back, my, Fred. Don't pull the curtain my, back. They were my dark horse. They were my dark horse. It's Podcast if they don't make it, it's like, I just said they were a dark horse. That means they're probably not making it. I was totally right. It's Kem- just Kemba Walker. Just filling airtime, Fred. We're just yes, filling airtime. Kemba Walker is uh, is is so important to this. If Kemba looks like he did say against the Warriors and makes shots like that, then all of a sudden this is a team that has three really really good players at the top of the roster and can overcome some of the down roster issues. The other thing is just the defense. They were so disappointing for the first three and a half months of the season defensively, where they were a top five defense last year. Through April first, they were twenty first in points allowed per possession which is just a wild drop-off from last year. Since April 1st, when they won 8 out of 9, they're tied for 5th in points allowed per possession. It's just been a giant, giant uptick for them, and that's really been the difference. Uh, If they are playing elite defense and Kemba Walker kind of starts to overcome the injury issues and really starts to look like, at the very least, a really good third-best player, then, then sure. I mean, there's no team in the East that's totally and completely guaranteed to to make a run. To I shouldn't say. I should say there aren't two teams in the East that are totally and completely guaranteed to make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. But they need to play at the very least top ten defense like they are right now, and they need Kemba Walker to to really show them something. I would agree. In general, I don't love 
Kemba in the space he seems to be in, you know, both health wise and then. I don't know. It's just not, it's not been the fit that people thought it would be. And you love seeing him when he's at his best and it's clicking. And he had some of those moments in the bubble last year, but um, yeah, I'm going to probably fall on the side of not buying it. Even as a dark horse right now, I feel like, you know, when the, uh, the pressure ramps up a bit in the playoffs, we're going to see the Celtics fall by the wayside. Um, Slater, you got something? No, no, I was just going to mention Evan Fournier was added at the deadline and maybe Thank he you. will, yeah. will inject some, some offensive lights and, and just lengthen the rotation, which is really what they need. Um, but he's also kind of had his own injury issues. He didn't play the other night too. Uh, so I don't know the fact that they're playing Jabari Parker, like important minutes, literally after signing him like a day before, uh, was not a good sign for where their depth is. He he has scored more points as a Celtic this year than he has as a King. I saw that. <laughs> wow! Oh, this is, I swear, Kings fans, we're not trying to make this the six degrees yeah. of <laughs> so many so many kicking Kings. Kings fans in the nuts podcast. Let's talk about Demarcus Cousins' ten days. <laughs> yeah, that's another story. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Uh, in that same genre in the East, we have the Miami Heat, who Andrew Schleck says, uh, was the Heat were, was, the the uh, pronouns there get tricky, uh, were a fluke in the bubble. The Heat were a fluke. First of all, I'm giving a hard hell no to that in terms of the bubble. Man, I love the way they competed. The guy I think they missed. Um, takes today, man. <laughs> Jay Crowder was really good for them. And uh, seeing what he's done in Phoenix and seeing how he's missed in Miami. I know he's a role guy. But I, you know, I, I find myself starting to believe in the heat a little bit. I just looked at it. As we talk here, they've lost 10 out of 17. Very mediocre basketball. Um, Jimmy Butler, of course, has been great when he's been out there. Only played 41 games to this point. They just, you know, a little bit like Philly where they tried to bring some big names to town, whether it was a Kyle Lowry or a Harden. You know, those things didn't happen. Um, You lose a little bit around the edges and you're still kind of patiently waiting for the Tyler Heroes and the Duncan Robinsons to keep growing up to the level. It's a little Mike Porter-esque, if you will, like where – the question is like, how good can these young guys be? But you got to be patient. So we're not seeing it right now. But but what do you guys think? Is Miami uh, were they a fluke last year? The the offense just goes dry so often that it's I don't know 
I don't know if they were a fluke because I think they made sense in that environment. And that's part, but part of what made them fun was that if you started it over in a normal environment, I don't think anybody would even knowing what happened. I don't think anybody thought of them as the single best team. I think they they caught fire. Everybody talked about their discipline in the bubble and their and and the way that they played together defensively and all of that. They really struggled to score without Jimmy Butler. Like they just struggled to score without him and the offense can go really dry. And you know, Hero has has kind of evened out from where he was last year during the regular season and has been about the same player, which is fine. I don't think less of him as a prospect, but he just hasn't necessarily made like a jump from year one to year two that a lot of people thought might be possible. And until a couple of games ago, they hadn't gotten a ton out of Ariza. Uh, you know, Igudala is not the player he was a couple of years ago. So just the the role guys and and the way that they're scoring is is just is just not there. They don't really have very much potency. Well, and, and Goran Dragic is another. Sorry, just yes, to jam it in because I. Yeah, and that's the one I, I should have mentioned. Is like he was just really, really good last year. And I looked at it here; he's scoring's down about three points a game. Minutes are about the same, and then health has been a problem for him too. He's played thirty-seven games. That's a big one, especially when you talk about the offensive struggles, like you did, Fred. Yeah, well, you know exactly the offensive struggles that they can't seem to find scoring and playmaking. You know, away from Jimmy Butler and and you know Bam is awesome he had a game winner the other day um but he's not like you know hand it to him when jimmy butler's off the floor and he's gonna just like you know run a, a super efficient offense you needed goran Dragic to be like he was in the bubble you needed tyler hero too he didn't even necessarily need to make a year one to year two leap he just needed to show that the playoff version of tyler hero could be the regular season version it hasn't been and i feel like it's a common theme with um the teams we're talking about is like they there's one or two players that are really going to need to rediscover a groove or get or you know find a groove in the playoffs for, for them to reach their ceiling it's Kemba with the Celtics it's it's a hero drogic combination at least one of the two with the heat um you know so do I see it I don't know. to me they seem like they're they're having a very similar regular season to what they had last year so the question is can they find what they were in yeah the I still wonder if they got a, a surprise run in them I mean that defense doesn't go away and I, I certainly don't forget covering that buck series in the bucks bubble. don't want to see him right bucks don't want to yeah. be matched up with them and I feel like that's kind of the type of experience that the, once they took down that lion so to speak it was like man you could see their chest puff out you could see just kind of the way they carried themselves. And at that moment, you're going, wait, this is supposed to be the best team in the East, and we just punked them, and let's go do this. And, and yeah. it had kind of a contagious effect. Well, then you think Let's also so- not discount that, that Spolstra can outcoach anybody. I mean, you put you put him in. That's just a ginormous advantage when you playoff have that tested. kind of playoff series. He just so playoff tested. Um, and I mean, you just think about the East in the bubble. Also, like you said, they were a really good matchup for Milwaukee. They slayed that giant. Philadelphia bowed out because Ben Simmons' back injury. Brooklyn wasn't a thing yet. Boston was considered the next biggest threat. They beat Boston in the East Finals and. You know, part of the reason they beat Boston in the East Finals is didn't Tyler Hero have like 37 in the swing game of that series? Was it like game yeah. five? He just he won a rookie, won a game five. Was that in the, the uh, was that <clears throat> the uh, not smirk? I don't know. You call it a smirk or a grin or the the scowl yeah, game? With yeah, the right. hero. Yeah, that, right. But I, I, th- I mean, did you just try it? Did I see that? Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, it's, it's only a listen only podcast. Um, <laughs> 
a rookie had 37 in game five of, of an East finals. I think it was game five. Like right. that, that changed the East. If he doesn't have that game, Boston probably wins and they probably win that series. And then, right. I don't know. Right. Right. Guys, speaking of buzzer beaters, uh, we got one topic left. I think we're going to get this thing done and, and kind of uh, Andrew Schlecht approved timing when it comes to the pod. Topic number eight, and, and truth be told, I'm, I'm feeling guilty that we're, we're jamming the Knicks in at the end here. You know, um, our fine staff just pumped out a, a fantastic podcast called Shattered. They chronicled the 20 years of, of kind of <laughs> darkness for the Knicks organization. And so we, we, we spotlighted everything that has been wrong about the Knicks, and then here we are just giving them the uh, the kind of the, the last little slot here as we highlight what's going right. But they've gone from that team where you're going, oh, they're not terrible, to, oh, they're around 500. This, though, um, this is legitimate winning, and it's six in a row heading into Monday, and I did not read. I was looking at the AP game story real quick to see if I could get the number on the last time that they won six in a row, but it's been a very long time, and – they're fun to watch. Julius Randle is, you know, is becoming <clears throat> the player the Lakers thought he was years and years ago. Um, watching him battle with Zion Williamson on Sunday was a lot of fun. Just a great one-on-one matchup. Um, so, so Andrew's question that he lobbed here is: the Knicks should be taken seriously. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, Julius Randle is winning them games. They play really good defense. They are, I think, they're third in defensive efficiency now. I mean, they play really good, solid team defense, and it's holding up even with Mitchell Robinson out. Uh, they they are extraordinarily well coached. I mean, you know, Sam, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Monty Williams as a, a guy who's on the short list for coach of the year, and and I don't think Tom Thibodeau should be number one on the list, but he's going to be on a lot of ballots for that with the way that he's propped up this uh, this uh, this team. And by the way. Like I think Knicks fans should be excited about RJ Barrett. He's he's made a really nice jump over his last. He got off to the year not shooting threes again. Over his last forty six games, this is not a small sample size by any stretch of the imagination. He's shooting forty five percent from three. Like that's this has been a per, really nice development game? year too for him. What's uh, the volume? A little shot. A little shy of four a game. That's. Not you know, insignificant. It's, it's not high. No, no, it's not. It's not super high volume, but that's encouraging for sure. It's it's extremely encouraging for somebody who we talked about couldn't shoot. I mean, that was the flaw. Forty six games of, I mean, you know, it's like a some like one hundred and forty threes or one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty threes. And as we know, those are a lot of minutes being played under Tom. Tito, yeah. <laughs> that is very true. I mean, that's that's the he's part. had a really nice developmental season. That's the part for me that is wild. As long as I cover this league, it's like it never gets old seeing narratives get flipped and it's like you know we do our best to try to portray whatever the current truth is about a player or a coach or the situation but it's like man I covered that Minnesota thing where everybody just was not feeling Tom Thibodeau at all feeling like he'd ground that entire culture into the ground uh no pun intended and then you know and just the the optics around him weren't great and and so Jimmy gets dealt to Philly and Tom gets fired um, and, and at that time, you kind of wondered if that, not if that was it for Tom Thibodeau, but as a head coach who was going to make noise and, you know, and he, he kind of makes that connection with Leon Rose and the CAA connection they have. And, and now, you know, he's on a short list for coach of the year. So that part's impressive. Uh, and I also am starting to wonder, you talk about Randall Barrett, some of the younger pieces that are for real, 
I think early on there was skepticism around the league about what are they actually building as opposed to, you know, having Derrick Rose come out and play big minutes just for fun. Like there's a little more there uh, that it now that it, you know now that it seems like there was a couple months ago. Uh, my answer to Andrew Select's take is: What is taken seriously? Are they a playoff team? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think they've proven that. Can they avoid the play-in? Um, you know, they're they, they're avoiding it as of this moment we're speaking. I do think Miami might slip ahead of them, but maybe Atlanta slips behind them. You know, they're in that mix. I I do think it's good for the NBA. That's one thing I would say. They're to me they're very likely not a second round team, particularly if they get the Sixers, Nets, or Bucks in the first round. But man, the NBA could use Nets, Knicks round one, couldn't it? I mean, like that would be really fun, you know, mid-May basketball. Um, and, and just like you go out, out West, the NBA could really use a Lakers Clippers series that they didn't get last year in the bubble. And it just as we talk about what's potentially ahead. I like that the Knicks are relevant. I like that Tom Thibodeau at least has them, to a frisky level. And if we do get Nets Knicks, um, I think the Knicks could, could at least push it to five, maybe six, you know, could you get a really fun game six in the garden where the Nets with, you know, KD Kyrie and James Harden have to go in there and, and, you know, drag, you know, avoid a game seven against their crosstown uh, rivals. Like that would be really fun. That's, but that's about as serious as I take them. They're a first round, you know, make you grind to, to advance six game series type thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I think. Yeah. They they I don't know if they're going to avoid the plan series. They are the plan tournament. They have they have a really hard schedule and Miami has one of the easiest schedule in the league remaining. So, it's going to be tough for them, but they're playing extraordinarily well. So, maybe yeah. the strength of schedule doesn't matter as much. Yeah, and and Miami's the, not playing great. The way to avoid it though would maybe be like Atlanta uh pushes down. To me, all I even if they do do avoid the or don't avoid the play, and you know they're still a, to me a favorite to to win in the play. You know, let's say they're playing Charlotte right now for a you know in New York for one game, and you're you're the seven seed. I, they'll be favored, and then if they're the seven seed right now, Brooklyn's the two seed, and I get the matchup that I just said I wanted. So, uh, that's <laughs> man, the Hawks shade coming from Slater, you know, just putting them out there as pretenders. They uh, let's see, what is it? Eight, words eight, eight out of ten. You're not I said buying it. If huh? they stumble a little bit, that's all. All right, good stuff, guys. We did not stumble in this pod. We rolled through all eight topics. I appreciate you. Uh, I'm going to let everybody go on that. Thanks, boys. 